welcome to Pure Nonfiction, the podcast interviewing documentary filmmakers. I'm Tom Powers, the documentary programmer for the Toronto International Film Festival and artistic director of the Doc NYC Festival. On this episode, we hear from director Rachel Lears and editor Robin Blotnick about their new documentary, Not Down the House. We first told you about the film in January on our preview of Sundance, where the film had its world premiere. Knock Down the House follows four Democratic candidates running insurgent campaigns for Congress in 2018. They're based throughout the country, in Missouri, Nevada, West Virginia, and New York City. We're running to organize. We're running to redefine the political landscape in New York City. And here's the best part about all of this. We're not running to make a statement. We're not running to pressure the incumbent to the left. We're running to win. One of those candidates is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez from the Bronx. The filming began when she was still a bartender, and her primary campaign against the Democratic incumbent Joe Crowley seemed like the longest of long shots. For Knock Down the House, Rachel's the director and cinematographer, her husband Robin is the editor. If you wonder how they had the foresight to follow AOC so early, look at their previous film, The Hand That Feeds. That film, set in a Manhattan deli, follows immigrant workers trying to organize a union. Rachel and Robin clearly have instincts for grassroots movements and great storytelling skills. The Hand That Feeds won the audience prize at the 2014 Doc NYC Festival. Two years later, Rachel and Robin were new parents and feeling stunned on election night. So let me say, it is my high honor and distinct privilege to introduce to you the president-elect of the United States of America, Donald Trump. Rachel describes how that night got them started on Knock Down the House. The project started in in the fall of 2016, actually the day after the presidential election. And um, I wanted to find, uh, sort of between projects, wanted to find a story that would... Uh, that would be hopeful, that a story that would be big and national in scope about people from different parts of the country and different backgrounds coming together to put forward a positive vision for, for moving the country forward and, 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 and building a, a better society, a, a more equitable society. So, um, so th- through that idea, I came in contact with the organization's brand new Congress and Justice Democrats who were recruiting uh, ordinary working people to run for Congress and, and really working on building a pathway to the halls of power for people who wouldn't ordinarily have a chance to get there. Um, nurses, teachers, bartenders. Um, and, uh, and, and through those organizations, I met the four incredible women who are featured in the film. And, uh, and it's thrilling to be able to share their stories with you. Um, they, uh, you'll, you'll see that it's a story about power um, about what it takes to build power in yourself and, and in the world, and, and what it takes and what it looks like to make the politically impossible possible. Rachel made those remarks last week as she introduced a screening at the IFC Center. After the film, Rachel and Robin took the stage for a live conversation, 
led by DocNYC senior programmer Karen McMullen. Okay, so you were saying in your intro that the day you decided to make this film the day after Trump was elected, most of us were in a fetal position somewhere, and you decided to get up and make a film. (laughs) Um, Can you talk about that decision? What what motivated you to do that, and where did you find the strength and the energy to do that? Well, I I made I made a list. I made a document. called it what is to be done and I I made a list of things that I wanted to get involved in politically and the types of stories that I wanted to tell in this new uh, political reality that we were facing and um, and I realized that that uh, brand new Congress was on the get involved in uh, list and then I realized wait this actually encompasses all the sorts of stories that I want to tell about people about building solidarity across the country across social divides and um, you know people coming together to create you know, big change in American government so um, so that was kind of the the genesis of that it's just you know got gotta believe in something and and to pile on the crazy ideas uh, you had an eight month old you and your husband had an eight month old yeah. boy and you decided to well, go that into was, production on I a mean that was, that was part of it it was it was really like you know I I, I I always felt like like I had to believe in something, you know. I've got this little kid. I, I can't just uh, assume that everything's gonna be terrible now. You know, you have to. Got gotta gotta do something. <laughs> so uh, that was part of the motivation for me, for sure. How did you handle the um, child rearing, the child care <laughs> during production? It, it was a challenge. It never ceases to be a challenge. Would, <laughs> would you do it over again? That's a question for you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I would. I don't know about you, but um, so we. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, we so we we had this this little kid. He's three now. Um, he has the credit of best boy in the film. I don't know if you noticed, um, but so so we traveled around the country with him as a family, producing this film. We, of course, we had a very shoestring budget at the time. We were. Uh, you know, in the beginning, before we had any external funding, we were, you know, doing everything between freelance projects, and, um, and uh, you know, so so I did most of the shooting, and and uh, Robin did all the editing, and um, it it was really this uh, lean, mean, mom and pop doc machine. <laughs> <laughs> Would you do it over again, Robin? I don't know. Um. <laughs> It's starting to get kind of beautiful in in memory. It's a sort of nostalgic thing. Um, it, w- it was definitely an adventure, especially I think like West Virginia, where we were driving back and forth across West Virginia over and over with this kid and um, making him meals in the microwaves of motels every night. Um, but uh, I I think he enjoyed it quite a bit. He loved Paula Jean especially. <laughs> So how did you go about picking um, your four very dynamic characters, and what made you decide to only choose women? Well, um, the original concept for the film was more about political outsiders and, and what uh, ordinary working people as, uh, for, as first-time candidates would, would experience in that process. Um, but uh, as the as 2017 went on, pretty soon it became clear that there was this historic wave of women running in the midterms, and it felt like a natural fit to to narrow it down uh, in that way. And you know, we were working with these organizations and, and limiting the the, can, the 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 field of of possible 
candidate characters to them. They were all going to be uh, refusing corporate donations and running on this unified slate, supporting each other across the country. So within that, we wanted to find people who would have you know, really strong personalities and really uh, charismatic presence on on film because we didn't know what was going to happen with the elections and and the purpose was was also not to make uh, a campaign a typical campaign how to film we wanted to find people who had very personal reasons for doing what they were doing and and very deep personal experience to draw on in that process knowing that would be better for film as well. So I think we both just gravitated towards, I mean, I interviewed a couple dozen candidates, met with a bunch of them, and, and really gravitated towards these four. And the film really kind of coalesced around these four. Yeah, we knew it was the zeitgeist of the moment, but we it was convenient for us that they were also just our four most, uh, our favorite characters to follow, male or female. So um, it just worked out that way. Plus, we had to make sure their primaries weren't on the same day, so we could, because we were just one crew. <laughs> so it was a very um, um, kind of iconic, you know, classic David versus Goliath story, the underdog besting the powerful. And it was kind of, I guess, a happy accident that Alexandria won. What do you think, you know, what do you think your film might have looked like had she not? Well, we thought about that a lot during the process. It was definitely a very real possibility that all four of them would lose, and we knew that going in. So, you know, the, we also chose candidates that were um, confronting political machines, um, and we were very interested in exploring those dynamics of power and, and what power looks like in this country, in different parts of the country. Um, and so, I, I think we, we felt like it would be sort of like a street fight on, on the national level, you know. It can, it can still be a really interesting story um, if you've got compelling characters, even if they don't win the election, especially if you can, uh, through that personal story, also reveal uh, larger dynamics about how the political system works. I'm not a political junkie, and I found the film really informative. I didn't understand um, you know how difficult it is for the, the, as she says, the down ballot candidates to to rise up in the ranks, and that this political machine is meant to, or it's designed to, kind of suppress democracy. That was really eye-opening, rather upsetting. Um, what did you learn about the political process that was a surprise to you? Wow, I mean, I had no idea how how. Uh, how undemocratic uh, the, the electoral process is in here in New York. Um, so there's just all these things about it. I mean, a, a, as you saw, it's it's really difficult to get on the ballot in the first place uh, in New York City. Um, that you know the 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 webs of uh, powerful elected officials tend to support one another, and people are handpicked to be the successor this this one, the successor of that one, etc. Um, and and there's also all these things that make it hard for people to vote. So you know you had to register. We didn't even have the space to go into it in the film, but. To vote in the Democratic primary, as some of you know, if you vote in primaries, you have to register almost a year ahead of time <laughs> in, the, in that party. You can't change your registration from independent to Democratic a month before the election. 
um, and because you decide you want to vote in the Democratic primary. Um, if so, so there's just all these things. They also have several different election days. So you know, if if you voted last year, you probably remember that you know this was in June, and then in September there was the state primary, and you, there was also you know we we live upstate in, in the Hudson Valley. There was a school board election in May, and it's like why are there so? And then there's the general election, obviously, and if there's a special election. That has to be on its own day. So, so there's five or six elections over the course of a year. That is by design. That is not an accident. It is harder it for, uh, it's harder for challengers to, uh, to challenge incumbents when there's there's a system like that in place. So so basically, you know, the the way it works is the harder it is for lots of people to be involved in the political process, the easier it is for the people who are in power to keep their seats of power. And so it's in their interest uh, not to to open it up more democratically. I think we are going to see some changes. Uh, you know, there've been a lot of changes in uh, the state uh, legislature this past year as well. And I know there's um, pretty great, right? Yeah, um, <laughs> no more IDC. So there's there's a there's going to be a lot of uh, I think there'll be changes in in the voting electoral system in in New York um, in in the coming years. But um, but that was super eye opening for me as a as a New Yorker for for 20 years to to learn all about that. Is there anything for you? Yeah, no, I just think, I mean, the political machines in New York are fascinating. They go all the way back to the 19th century. Tammany Hall, like, you can see the Queen's machine as this direct descendant of people sort of passing the torch over the generations from those old days of, of, of crooked machines. So it's really exciting that we witnessed the end of that. I mean, we literally witnessed the end of that. But um, Earlier drafts of the film had uh, old 19th century political cartoons in them. So. Yeah. Well, you just said that, you know, the old guard sticks together. Um, and what I found doing a little research about the film is how much of a community these women have. And that, um, and Alexandria actually went and was campaigning with Cori Bush down in Missouri, which is very heartwarming. And so it's, you know, we saw in the film, of course, I'm sure you had more footage other places, but um, we saw one text, you know, that they call each other, but... Were there other, can you talk about some of the other instances of them supporting each other? Yeah, I mean, that they supported each other throughout the process. Um, they and the other couple, several dozen candidates that were running on the slate with them. Um, so so they they had, as you saw in the film, that the, you know, there was the, the, the candidate meeting and training in Kentucky, and they would, there were events like that uh, every so often that they would, they would go to. There was that meeting in D.C. where they took the photos on the, on the steps, and, and that was where many of them met for the first time. I think we have footage of, of Corey and Amy meeting for the first time there, and of course Alexandria and Paula met at the Netroots conference, which you also see in the film. And so, but they were also in touch on, um, they had uh, regular video calls. Um, brand new Congress and Justice Democrats organized them to have, you know, regular support calls with one another, just to to share stories of of what they were confronting in uh, in their races, both personally and you know the the particular logistical and uh, political challenges they were facing, and they they'd share, you know, tips with one another, and as well as supportive 
messages with each other. Social media was a big way that they, they supported each other. Um, it was very much part of the process. Corey's decided to run again, yeah. That's right. Uh, Corey is already running again in 2020. She announced it at our Sundance premiere, actually. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was it was awesome when Alexandria... So the, uh, the, the Missouri primary was actually after the uh, New York primary last year. The magic of cinema, you know, we moved it earlier. It worked better for the story that way, unfortunately. Um, so, so that... Uh, that scene where Alexandria did go to support her, um, it didn't wind up uh, working for the film, but it, it was a wonderful moment of solidarity. So um, speaking of social media, um, people have said one of the reasons why we have the president we have now is that he managed to master uh, social media, and so has she, and she gives lessons to the congressman, right? Um, can you talk about how technolo technology has been an equalizer and has helped level the, the field? Oh, that's so interesting. Do you want to talk about that? You're, sure. you're on I social mean, media I, more than I am. Well, I, I think Rachel and I are both like a little bit um, dumbfounded and baffled by her, her social media power. Um, and and I think we're like both like a little bit weirded out by it too because we just we're not so comfortable in that world ourselves. Um, it's amazing to see what she can do with it. Um, it's, I find the world of Twitter and Instagram kind of, kind of like a unhappy place to hang out, <laughs> but she goes in there and she somehow, uh, draws energy from it and gives energy to it. And, uh, I think it's, it's incredible to watch. I, I'd love to, uh, to just see where it leads. Yeah. I, I mean, I, th I think it is. It is a great equalizer. I mean, it, it, it gives, there's, it's an opportunity for, um, for communities to, for, for people to come together and build a public sphere that, that doesn't exist elsewhere. It's an opportunity for people to voice concerns that might not be getting covered by the mainstream media. Um, there, there's all kinds of ways that, that it, it broadens, you know, the possibility of political discourse and participation. But I think there's also a danger in social media and the way that everything gets, uh, often, you know, I think it tends to reduce emotion and thought to love and hate. And so, and it, yeah, and, 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 you know, really, really short content. And so, you know, there's a place for that, but we're, we do long form documentaries and there's, um, even though when you're editing and you've got all this, hundreds of hours of footage, 90 minutes feels very short, um, or 86 in this case. But, um, you know, we, we really are, are looking forward to putting this film out into, you know, we've got a world here where the star of the film is an internet celebrity now, and most people know her from, or think they know her from social media, lover or hater, you know, that's where a lot of folks are engaging with her. This is a much more nuanced, long form picture of who she is as a person and what her campaign was all about and the movement that she's part of. And so I think that, uh, you know, it's, we hope it's a valuable contribution to that dialogue, just I also would just add to that that I think the thing that the real gift that Alexandria brought to uh, using social media for a campaign is she she translated into real people on the ground in her district knocking on doors. Um, she was able to to build a following in virtual space and then bring them into rooms, get them to commit, 
and um, it was really amazing to to watch that happening. Yeah, and there was a really um, a strategic approach to that that she had as well, um, and you know that is what her background as a community organizer brought to the process. And in, instead of, you know, when, when you don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to spend on TV ads, um, you've got to figure out another way. But it was actually very strategic. So, you know, uh, m many of her constituents and the people she was engaging probably weren't watching television anyway. Um, you know, they're, they're on their phones on the train between jobs, you know. Um, so, so many people do engage with media um, through social media in, instead of through the mainstream avenues that established political candidates might use typically for that. So it's, um, it's not only you know, an alternative to that, but it's a very strategic way to engage uh, populations that don't uh, necessarily get engaged by those traditional methods of political advertising. Taking questions from the audience, Rachel was asked if being her own cinematographer helped her gain a greater intimacy. Yeah, well, thank you for asking that. I, I hope so. Um, I think so. That's what we were going for. <laughs> um, that's definitely, I mean, it, it certainly helped fitting into a lot of those small spaces, you know, New York apartments, uh, cars, <laughs> so uh, yeah, hotel bathrooms. So there's, um, that, was, that was a huge part of the, you know, the style, the, the way a film is shot and the dynamics of what that relationship is like um, between the filmmaker and the person being filmed. Um, I think that uh, that does show up on on screen, and so to get that really um, gritty, intimate sense of of what their personal experience was like, I felt that it was very important to have small crews, and it was also a budgetary constraint. We didn't we didn't have the funding to to hire large crews, but they're literally wouldn't have been a way to get a larger crew into a lot of those spaces as well. So you got to be you got to be mobile, you have to be flexible. These campaigns are changing plans at the last minute constantly. You got to be able to, you know, jump in a car here and then, you know, follow someone around into this building and out the other door and it's it's just a, a constant uh rehashing of the plan that is gets more difficult to do the larger your crew is so that being a small crew afforded that flexibility at all levels it's also great the technology on the production end has allowed for more women dps because the cameras are smaller and women Not can carry one. the cameras uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a beast no it's a, a sony fs7 is actually one of the larger, heavier cameras. <laughs> anyway, it's great. I love it. Another audience question. When did they know that Alexandria would be the film's star? Here's Robin. Well, I think, I think we were fortunate in that because we're based in the New York area, we had more of Alexandria's story already. So while we weren't sure, we had no idea if any of them would win and which one might win. Um, if maybe more than one would win. But when we, when we found out that she had won, um, we knew she was going to be getting a little more screen time. That was clear. Um, but we also knew that the story wouldn't work with just her. It was so important to be able to show not only um, the geographic diversity and uh, all the other things that these characters, these other subjects brought, but, but just to give a sense of how hard it really is and not, I think it could have it could have 
verged into a sort of fairy tale territory without the other three women to give it the grounding of the real hard reality that you, not everyone wins and that the machines and the establishment are actually very, very powerful. Um, so that was really important to us. But um, it did take a lot of work to, to figure out the right balance and how to, how to uh, make sure everyone was included in a way that really worked for us. From the audience, Rachel was asked if she has advice for running a grassroots campaign similar to those in the film. Well, I think that the advice that um, that these folks would give, that the that the women in the film would give, is is that you really have to reach deep inside yourself, um, going back to every hardship that you've ever gotten past in your life everything uh, you've everything you've ever lost everything you've ever fought for uh, to draw that strength it's it's almost a spiritual quest for them that's how they've they've, they've all described it in one way or another that way and um, and to draw those connections you know not just between the strength you need uh, to 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 get through the types of struggles that we all have, and then you need to draw on that to get through a campaign, which is really difficult. But but to make the connections between your personal experience and your story and the political issues that drive you, because that's what's gonna really help you connect with voters. And that's what each of these candidates was able to do in their campaigns, and that's why they were able to change the conversation and engage people who don't usually participate in the political process. want to thank director Rachel Lears and editor Robin Blotnick. Their new film, Knock Down the House, is available on Netflix. You can find their previous documentary, The Hand That Feeds, on iTunes, Amazon, and other platforms. Thanks to Doc NYC senior programmer Karen McMullen for hosting the conversation. If you're in New York City, please join us in person for Pure Nonfiction at IFC Center. Each Tuesday, we show a documentary followed by a conversation with the filmmakers or other special guests. Our spring season runs through the end of May. You can find more information on our website. Thanks to our team, series producer, Hannah Nordenswan, and web designer, Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, who passed away in March at age 82. Our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Pure Nonfiction. I'm Tom Powers. You can follow me on Twitter at T-H-O-M Powers. Pure Nonfiction is distributed by the TIFF Podcast Network. You can read our show notes, learn about live events, and sign up for our newsletter at Pure Nonfiction.net. Nonfiction.net.